Transmitting high atop of Florida's peninsula. At 108 feet, this is Alpha Mike, and I am your host on today's episode, Your Eyes Look at the Target in Combat, episode 141. Now, our liftoff today is on launch day. That's how backed up I am on the radio show. Usually we do these shows maybe one, two, three, four, five days in advance, edit, and send out. But today's launch day, 10, 10.20 in the morning, and I am talking into the microphone. Yep, yeah, well, we can't have everything in life. As always, how do you get in contact with us? Well, it's easy. You just dial RaiderCopNation.com and... There you can contact with us uh, through the website or social media. Don't forget also, Test Everything 1521 launches every Wednesday. And I told you, that's an automatic process. So makes it a lot easier. A lot easier for us down here. All right. I... Uh, we're going to talk about guns, 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 and tactics. We're bringing back the Wise Guys series, but we're also bringing back the training, train, train up series. And today we want to talk about something that you may train in, but most likely is not what you're going to be doing in a real combat situation. The distinction between both, huge. Should you practice as much as possible on a combat situation? Of course. Problem is, your friendly neighborhood range doesn't allow you to do all that. So, you've got to improvise, improvise. Because if not, you're going to get stuck. And that's what we want, you, uh, we want to avoid. I also want to take advantage of talking about an uh, a new link that we have on the bottom of our show notes and that's Moxie Matron and it's an uplifting series, it's a blog and uh, my friend is the editor or writer to that blog very entertaining as far as spiritual uplifting and um, I think you're going to get a big reward out of it it just launched and it's taking off like a rocket. People are joining up, listening, 
and being blessed. I had the privilege of being blessed many, many years by that same individual. So our link's down on the bottom, and that's going to be Moxie Matron. And um, the link, as I said, is attached down below. And we're going to feature that on our show notes every launch day. So in case you forget, what, what was that again? He, I know he mentioned I can't remember. Well, it's on the show notes always. So you can always get it. So uh, we've got a lot to cover. But one of the biggest mistakes or boo-boos that I did today is that our co-host, Kilo Sierra, is not here. And that is not his fault. It is my fault. You see, Monday was Memorial Day. It was a holiday. And yours truly didn't realize it. And I, my, my schedule didn't permit me to record on Monday or Tuesday. And so I dropped the ball on, on the scheduling. So I didn't even contact him because I, I just knew it wasn't feasible for me. And uh, so I dropped the ball. I was going to move around the schedule, but um, we had already logos and everything else set in stone, making it more difficult. But we will have them. And uh, I do want to get his input on this particular subject. So the next time he does come on, we're going to, you know, talk about, get his feedback on a little bit of this as well. But again, that's my error. Kilo Sierra. The man, the myth, the legend, he is not here because of my blunder. I had a crazy uncle moment. Tasha called disturbance of the mental with her bipolar uncle, bipolar. So it happens, and it happened to me. So we're going to have, uh, for the remainder of the year, shows on guns and shows on tactics. Now, there's a lot of gun shows out there, and of course, this is a podcast, so the visual aspect of what we would be talking about is a little confusing. So I've decided, and I haven't even run it through um, my my co-host, is we're going to be reviewing some of the top YouTube gun reviewers. And based on their experiences and ours and what we're seeing, we're going to kind of critique certain weaponry. And um, we might have experience with that specific weapon that they're talking about. And uh, we'll we'll do a, a little couple of episodes on that and see how that rotates. And it should be informative to our listeners in the gun world. And, uh, of course, tactics. Tactics are very important. And that's what we're talking about today. The difference of training and hitting a target and the difference of a real combat situation. Now, a lot of officers, law enforcement officers, they do qualifications, and we're going to talk about the difference of doing that type of session in or evolution and how that compares to training versus how that compares to a combat situation. And all distinct, all very importantly uh, distinct. And I'm also going to discuss how I, when I was a firearms instructor, my expectation to my students 
in the recruit stage. So some didn't have any experience with weaponry. Some had very little. And what was my level of expectation and what I wanted to see from beginning to end. And I know, I can firmly say, I know there was a difference between my students and the students that were coming out in my vicinity. Not that mines were uh, a lot, lot better, but I was training them much more aggressively uh, on purpose. And we'll talk a little bit about that towards the end of what we're going to talk about. So, you know, uh, the uh, death toll continues for law enforcement officers in, um, around the country with the coronavirus as, as well as in correctional facilities. So we need to keep them in prayer. It is a profession of bravery and courage, and even a, a silent and deadly killer like coronavirus can put you out of the race and nobody would ever know it. So on a lighter note, it's time to discuss the Word of the Week. Psalms 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. And we hope that you would be encouraged enough to continue listening to Test Everything 1521 every Wednesday for you. It's 15 minutes or less of God's Word to uplift your life, your spiritual training. As I always say, we practice a lot on tactical aspects in law enforcement. But spiritual ones we kind of put to the side, to the shelf, or some of us have boxed it completely, and it's up in the attic. But more than ever today, we need to continuously, vigorously train in the spiritual realm because the days are evil, the Scripture tells us. So that's Test Everything 1521. You can pick that up at RaiderCopNation.com section there that says test everything. You can hear our our well, verses there, our, our sermons for it's less than 15 minutes. That's it, less than 15 minutes of your valuable time. All right, so we're going to talk about the one and only guns and gun tactics. For those that can enjoy and appreciate a great training session and a great range day, they could appreciate this sound. Oh, what sweet sounds. And it's like when you go out to the range and they call the safety officer calls cease fire, cease fire. And there's always one, two, three, or four rounds that continue to go off. <gasps> Nothing like it. Nothing like it, my friends. Today, your eyes look at the target 
in combat. Episode 141, and it's time to get the short bus. All aboard! Let's do it. Episode 141, your eyes look at the target in combat. Now, for those that have taken training in firearms, they know that ranges, public ranges, are very, very much controlled as far as safety. Some ranges won't even allow you to shoot from the drawed position of a holster and... That makes it all the more difficult to really have a training session. So there, there is a distinction, and we're going to discuss that and the importance that it is to have a full-rounded element of training, not only qualification sessions, but training sessions and training for the real event. Uh, And you can't do it in some of these public ranges, so we got to get around that issue. We'll talk about that as well. So what other distinctions? Number one, is there a difference between practice training and combat and shooting? And the answer, of course, is yes. So when I do a qualification round, it's a set round that an individual is going to have to pass at a certain amount of yardage, and there is a total rounded score for passing. Simple as that. The rounds hit the target. There are specific areas of that target that count and those that don't count. But there's not no moving targets, and there's not much stress in that event it's simply a qualification round telling and informing the agency the public the courts of law in the future possibly that you have met the standard of maybe your agency your organization your club whatever you belong to You've met that standard to say you're proficient in the weapon. But it doesn't do much more for you. And sometimes people are under the impression that as a result of that, they are prepared and ready for a combat session. In law enforcement, probably anywhere in the area of two weeks or less are dedicated to the firearms evolution. And of those 
possibly 10 days, there are going to be at least two or three that might be academical inside a classroom. And some of those other days might also share other platforms in firearms, not necessarily semi-automatic, could be shotgun, it could be AR. So if you don't have any experience with weapons, you're going to have three weapons, possibly two or three weapons thrown at you in a given set time period that you have to pass. So that could be quite stressful, especially for a young recruit that might be 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 years old with no experience. I have seen people that were even with military background and uh, they were not proficient in semi-auto because uh, they were more proficient with the rifle or the semi-auto that they used in the military wasn't the one that the department was using. And there was a mental block there. They would pass, they, you know, they get through the qualification, but you could see the stumbling because they just were not into guns. It was something that they had to do. Does your law enforcement training prepare you for what is to come? So that's the, the $64,000 question. Now, if we look at your basic training, the answer is no. It has taught you the basics of shooting, stance, proper grip, side picture, side alignment, trigger control, blah, blah, blah. But it hasn't prepared you for an all-out shootout at the OK Corral. So when we look at that basic element, it is exactly what it is, basic, entry. Got you over the hump. You went over the speed bump. Now, the other question is, is the agency that serve your community do they prepare their officers for that combat situation that might come? Now, I know that there's a lot of agencies that practice weapon retention, and I think that that is one of the most important elements of shooting. Because if you can't keep your gun in your holster, then we got a problem. And weapon retention is something that can't be done enough. I mean, you you need to practice that continuously and holding on to your weapon, dropping your body weight down and pushing away from the individual that's trying to grab at your weapon. Um, you can't just depend on the mechanism or the mechanical aspects of your holster to keep that weapon in the holster. And uh, that is an, a very important element. And it all starts from the holster. So making sure that the weapon stays in the holster is just as important. So besides that, besides small little tactical classes that your agency gives you, the question is, are you prepared for it? And is that stress level built up? Is... Do you feel confident in those tactics? If the agency doesn't do that, then don't cry about it. Don't be a dependent on the government. You got to do something about it.
Number three, what are the statistics and should I train on statistics? Well, we know that the statistics, which were very important in 1970, the New York City Police Department under SOP 9, they started to analyze the shootings that their officers were having, how many rounds were shot during the exchange, and at what distances. And the other elements of that combat situation. Thank God that the NYPD number one produced the report. Thank God that the they had the intelligence to measure the scope of threat. Now it's unfortunate that they had to go through what they officers had to be a lived experience in order to put this on paper. And they had from 1970 to roughly 1980, 10 years of documentation, 3,000 uh, 3, incidents, oh, excuse me, 6,000 incidents that occurred during that time frame. What they discovered that 34% of those 6,000 cases were at three feet or less. 47% were at three to six feet. And 9% were at six to 15 feet. So what we can look at this is from zero to 15 feet is our scope of training. But we can also look at three to six feet probably would be the greater threat. And there's where I have to concentrate the most. So the NYPD, one of the things that they started to do out of the statistics that were being gathered because of the close proximity, they also averaged that there was three to five rounds in three to three to five seconds was, was another ratio. If we look at SO. P9 today there's one important element that is different from what they studied in 1970 to 1980 and that is that their very good report dealt with a revolver with six shots in it semi-auto has not been done and semi-auto has higher capacity and probably the trigger is a lot smoother than it would be on a revolver. But with that being said, those are the statistics that a lot of agencies go with. And thank God that we do have it. Number four, the elements of shooting and why are they important? So we practice certain elements of shooting our stance, our breathing, our trigger control, side pitch, side alignment. And we practice and practice and practice. But under that stressful situation, are we going to do things robotic? The answer, of course, is no. I remember when I studied a karate at JKA Karate, Japan Karate Association, Shotokan, and 
we were, I don't, we weren't black belts then. We were, I guess, uh, I don't know what, I don't know what color it was, orange or something like that. And one of the students said, uh, we, we, this system is, because I guess he had practiced in another system. He said, this system is too robotic. And Sensei Saito said, because in our system, it's to kill with one blow. And what you learn is a series of moves and counter moves, but it doesn't mean that they all come in, in the same sequence. So to kill with one blow, that's why a karateka would practice makiwara, which is hitting with your fist the two knuckles a piece of wood and hitting it harder and harder and harder and getting that strength it's to kill with one blow but he also knows or he also learns counter moves and other moves so this specific student was thinking everything was supposed to be robotic in a real fight it's not it's the purpose of it okay now, before we get into the culture of martial arts and people want to have, what are you talking about? That's a piece of garbage. You can't do nothing with that. My style, that garbage. Styles are only as good as guns. I remember I had brought, I purchased a Smith & Western uh, M&P Series AR. Uh, I think it was the second generation it, yeah it wasn't the first and uh yeah, they weren't they, they, they were okay they were a good starter rifle and uh, this individual had you know the all decked out ar and uh had more weight on it than a sherman tank and uh, they were bragging about oh look at that little pea shooter and this and that and, and my response was does your ar the do the bullets go down faster than mine Number five, during a combat event, will I grip the weapon harder? Number six, will I slap the trigger during the shit show? That's right, because a combat situation is going to be a shit show. Number seven, will I be breathing heavier? And if so, what does that mean in this event? Well, I have the correct stance in the middle of this combat situation. Will I use my side picture and side alignment correctly in doing a combat situation? Now, in order to answer those questions, you would have to revert back to num question number two. And I'm going to repeat it for you. Does your law enforcement uh, agency provide you training for what is to come? Now, if you want to answer the rest of those questions, you would have to revert to question number one. Is there a difference between practice, training, and a combat situation? Okay. So any question that you're going to start answering, you have to revert back to questions one and two. What are you doing? You're going to judge what your agency has done for you. 
and then you're going to judge what you need to do. If you're not in law enforcement, you should also be very curious of what your agency that represents you, that protects you, that serves you, how do they train? And a lot of citizens won't do that. They just, oh, they, they got training. They should know, right, Bob? And what are they doing? Okay. So questions one and two are very important. Number 12, the equipment and the semi-automatic. As you know, you, I've always, I've loved to take this pitch now, and I, I should do it right, like right now. Let's, let's do it right here. Okay, Pistol Pete, the gunsmith, will make your semi-automatic shiny faster than ever. Come out with reliable parts like no other semi on the planet. Pistol Pete, the gunsmith. It's right down in the bottom of the show notes. So your gun is important that when you go to use it, it does exactly what you want it to do. Okay, so that equipment is very important. We look back at SOP9 from the NYPD. They were using revolvers, which were very reliable. 100%? No. No weapon is. But they were very reliable. Push the trigger and they usually go bang. So semi-autos have a little bit more um, unique mechanisms that are a little tricky and have the possibility of a malfunction more so than a revolver. But they both should perform at a specific level. And that's why you need a good gunsmith like Pistol P. 13, sighting optics. How important are that? Now I can use my sights, but in a combat situation, it might be a little difficult to use sights. In fact, if we look at the difference between sights and optics, and when I'm talking about, you know, a, a red dot system on a semi-auto versus sights. Now, you are training with sights. You have trained with sights. They put on the optic and all of a sudden, your gun smith pistolero the red dot will beam onto his chest and i'll press the trigger and like the movies like clint eastwood and hang him high down he goes but in actuality he may continue to move forward towards you even though you've hit him in that exact location the difference between sights and optics sights are reliable You've trained with them and used them and loved them and cried with them and have tears and blood, sweat, and everything with those sights. Optics make it easy. It's like going down the expressway on a reclining leather sofa. It makes life easy, but your eye has to look for the dot. And it might take a couple of seconds. So there's a hump, there's a speed bump that you're going to have to take if you're going to use optics. 
you have to be well trained in the use of optics. So a lot of people say, how come the agency police departments don't use optics? That's one of the reasons. Another reason is it's battery operated, a lot of them. And as a result, during that event that you have, the reliability issue that you're, it might not be there. Then you have to have sites that co-witness and now it becomes a little bit more expensive. So agencies go with reliable sites. Now, I'm not kicking the can and saying that optics are bad. They are good, but you have to be trained with them. The positives and negatives of optics, of course, are simple. The positive is if it beams on the target, it will, of course, hit that target in that specific area. The negative is it has issues with your holster more weight uh, there's going to be a slower time frame in withdrawing the weapon from your holster and onto the target and acquiring the sight with your eye a sight picture sight alignment with that optic and remember we're talking about three feet three to six feet is on most of our engagements 47 percent in combat and I might not have time to do all that there's where the NYPD started to teach during those eras of the 1970s uh, point shooting and that's what they taught a lot of their officers just get the freaking thing out of the holster and shoot and there's other reasons why officers not that they're not somebody Recently, there was an incident in Miami where they were chasing suspects and it went into another county. So they're in Miami-Dade County. They're headed northbound. It's a multi-agency chase. They end up in the city of Miramar, which is Broward County. The, the subject is kind of boxed into traffic and there's nowhere to go the officers that are giving chase take a, a tactical position they start exiting their vehicles and as this person called it the shit show started but what a lot of people don't understand in officers shooting situations they have been trained to look at their sights but in this combat situation, because the bad guy is shooting at me, I got, I'm now telling my eye, don't look at the site, look at the target. Because I have to be looking at what's coming at me. Get it? So the discipline, there's a discipline. A lot of military people will tell you that you know, they, they have the discipline in combat, which is true. But sometimes they're looking through sights with a rifle at a farther distance. But close quarter, three to six feet. This is the old corral. Clint Eastwood, hang them high. First one to come out of the holster and blast wins. That kind of thing. You don't have time. Your brain tells you, forget all that nonsense, point and shoot. 
Now, one of the things I would do with my students is I demanded of them a good grip, okay, on their weapon. Not to the point that they would bust their wrist, but I wanted a grip that I would tell them, of course, they were safe, clear, and empty. There was no rounds in their guns. I would tell them, uh, take your weapon out of your holster, point it, and I would try to break their wrist. And not literally. I would, with my hand, try to move it up, down, sideways. And if it easily rotated, then we had a problem. You had to keep that wrist, had to be, the hand and the, and the arm had to be one. Had to be one unit. And I insisted that of them because that would be control. Taking the weapon out of the holster as fast as possible into your midsection, then slowly start acquiring side picture side alignment. And then punching out the weapon to get that side picture side alignment and engaging. And being low to the ground, knees bent. I used to have what I used to call the high rollers. You know, they would shoot leaning back like if they were in uh, some of these uh, zip cars, you know, the, these uh, Chevy Impalas, they put big wheels on it and stuff like that. And the driver, instead of being in the driver's seat, it looks like he's in the passenger seat in, in the back. And those were the high rollers, and I would tell them, no, 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 bend into it. Why? Have you ever had something explode or loud bang that you did not expect close or nearby you? Did you just casually turn around to see what it was? Or did your body flicker and your head started bending downwards as to duck? You know why? The brain does that automatically. The brain says, danger, duck. It's hiding the computer you have on your head. It's called the brain. So it naturally bends you. And you need to be in that combat situation in that similar position. Because I doubt you're going to be a low rider leaning all the way back in a real gun battle. If you are, you'll probably be dead. Okay? So those are the things that I insisted on my students. And I tell you, just before we came up to qualification day, I wanted them at the aggressive mode, on their toes, leaning forward, get aggressive. And I would tell them that, and I would watch them, they would do it. And the other students would look and say, how come they're doing that? I'm not doing that. Because I just didn't want them to qualify. They, they either had it or they didn't at this point. I wanted them to get aggressive. Okay, you might win the fight, you might not. I don't know. But I want you to get aggressive. And I think that was the most important aspect of an instructor. Not that you can hit, oh, look, he hit center mass in the red. Oh, yeah, my student's great on paper. But maybe not in combat. One of the things that I practiced a lot was point shooting and coming out of the holster faster than anybody else. Now, I would have wished to have Kilo Sierra here with us and get his professional opinion on this. And we will in the future, I promise. I, I blundered, and uh, it would have been great to have him on a show. We could have had a real good 
uh, conversation about this. So what's next? If your agency doesn't give you a combat training, seek it yourself. Put aside in your annual budget at least for one class. Go somewhere. Travel. Go to these professionals that teach this combat type of training. Put it in your retro in, in, in your training module every year. Believe me, you will be a professional and a force to be reckoned with. Song of the week, Elvis, Can't Help Falling in Love. And up next, Scam, the Old Timers, episode 142. We put together a nice little scam alert going on for the older people. And uh, might be great to inform your parents, grandparents, these uh, conniving scumbags are out there taking and robbing elderly like never before, especially now with stimulus money. They're trying to stimulate that money right out of your hands. As always, it is my honor and my pleasure to be your host on Raider Cop Nation. Continue to pray for yourself because without you in the game, you, we have nothing. Continue to pray for your family, for your community, and for the law enforcement agencies that serve you. And most importantly, continue to pray for the United States of America. This is Alpha Mike, and I'm out.
Four three two three. 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 Four three two